You are listening to the Compliance Conversations podcast by Healthicity. If you work in the healthcare industry, you know how crucial compliance is to your bottom line, your reputation, and the success of your organization as a whole. If this is your first time listening, welcome. A transcript of every Compliance Conversations episode can be found at www.healthicity.com resources, along with a ton of other thought leadership materials. You can add us to your RSS feed and iTunes, or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Now, let's get on with the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Compliance Conversations. I'm CJ Wolf, Healthicity's Senior Compliance Executive. And today, we're talking to Christopher Chandler, who is a senior consultant with Intermountain uh, Healthcare's medical group uh, in the Professional Coding and Reimbursement Department. Um, this is a department I used to work in. It's where I first got started after I, I left medicine, and they were looking for somebody dumb enough to try to teach doctors about Medicare compliance. And I said, I don't know anything about that. So I guess I was dumb enough and I loved it. So I'm really glad to, to be talking to you today, Christopher. And um, we're going to be talking a little bit about general surgery coding and, and compliance issues. And uh, Christopher, before we get started, let me just have you introduce yourself a little bit and tell us what you do. Yes, thank you. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Uh, I also came into this job with no medical experience, no, but it's it's been a wonderful opportunity to learn a lot. So I am the general surgery, trauma surgery, and breast surgery coding consultant for Intermountain Healthcare on the professional side. So that entails me meeting with physicians, practice managers, staff, charge entry coders, and consulting them and helping them with their coding and their documentation tips and keeping them updated as the guidelines change as well. Yeah, that's great. And for those of you who don't know, Intermountain Healthcare is a large health system uh, in the Intermountain West, mainly Utah and Idaho. I believe those are the only... We have one hospital in Idaho and okay. I think a total of 22 hospitals. So. Yeah, a very large system, well known um, for quality services and, and keeping prices low and, and uh, care quality of care high. It's a great um, healthcare system. Yeah, it's, it is wonderful. And um, how many physicians are, I mean, do you guys work with? So there are about 1,500, I think, between yeah. 1,200 to 1,500 physicians that we work with. Yeah, so a lot of a lot of docs. I wanted to kind of provide a little bit of that background just so you guys know that um, that these uh, senior consultants that work with Intermountain Healthcare are they're real experts. I mean, they they are on the front lines. They're dealing with docs' concerns and questions and those sorts of things. So I'm excited to to be able to. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, general surgery with you today. Thank you. I am too. Uh, so let's just kind of get started with maybe, uh, I'll just start with a general question. What are some of the common misunderstandings of surgical coding in, in general? So I feel like a lot of the misunderstandings of surgical coding comes when people don't understand the coding system. They don't understand how it works, how there are global surgical packages or the ICD coding works with the CPT coding or there's multiple procedure overlap, things like that. Uh, there are ways that these surgery codes will fit perfectly into what the physician is doing, and then there are ways that it doesn't fit perfectly. But there, but when you understand the system, you know how to code it in a way that will accurately reflect what the physician is doing, even if that one code doesn't perfectly describe what the physician did, that surgery that they did. Yeah, so, yeah, because, I mean, the codes are written in a way to capture most of how a certain procedure is done, right? But there yes. may be some variances in what the doctor actually did or plans to do. Are, are, can you elaborate on that part yeah. a little bit? So there, how they might... 
Yes. So there are there are things called inherent services that are just in, considered inclusive within the the surgery code, but they aren't in the details of the description of the code. But then there are also getting to your point, there are also things where uh, the the physician will modify or change the surgery in some way, and that may completely change the code or may just alter it in a way where you can throw a modifier on there that will tell the payer this is it's still the the same inherent code, but it's been changed a little bit and here here's how it's been changed yeah and how did you i mean do your do the physicians do the coding and are they are they advising coders to pick the codes so it's kind of a mix here uh with my general surgeons at intermountain healthcare some of them will do the coding themselves others will write the 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 surgeries down on a a form now we're switching to an ehr and they're they're a little bit more involved with the coding now Uh, So they do select most of their coding themselves. They may have help with ICD coding, but so when you're educating them, are you are you kind of sharing PowerPoints or or some sort of media where you share the description of the code? I mean, I imagine some of the docs understand them a little bit better than others. So how do you how do you get them to understand what's included in that general? Like you had mentioned, inherent services. Mm -hmm. How do you help them understand what's already included? So my favorite thing to do is I will take some of their documentation that they've already done. And I'll sit down with them and I'll say, look, you reported on this one, a cholecystectomy with an E&M visit and a cholangiogram, Uh, but you missed this because of this, or maybe they coded something extra that they shouldn't. And I can show them right there in their documentation. Yes, you did this, but it's already included in here. And I can find a source for them, whether it's from Medicare, the NCCI policy manual, um, uh, the AAPC, whatever it may be saying, Here's, or maybe even their surgical society, the American College of Surgeons, where I can say, here is where they are saying it's already included in the reimbursement. And that's where a lot of physicians get really frustrated. They they don't see these inherent services. They think, I'm not getting paid for this because there isn't a code that accurately reflects it. But they are getting paid for it. They are getting reimbursed for it. They just don't see it in the description. Now, some physicians may argue that the dollar amount doesn't equate to that, right, but that's right. a whole other story. But the the principles of it still apply right. that they are getting reimbursed for it. Yeah, I I don't know if you if you've used this analogy, but when I first started working for Intermountain um, years ago, I worked uh, with a director, Ellen North. Yes, I did and, too. And she came up with a, a. We were talking one day, and she said it's kind of like a value meal. Yes. And so we were talking about going to the fast food restaurant, and it was a great analogy to try to help both coders and doctors understand that, look, when you order, you know, a burger, fries, and a drink, you pay a price. Mm -hmm. And what comes included in that price is if you ask for some napkins or if you ask for a straw or a packet of ketchup – that's included. You're not paying more. And so when, and and they've kind of worked that in as an average, some of us like eight packages of ketchup and some of us have sloppy kids in the car. And so you have lots of napkins and and they've kind of worked that into an average price. But if you order a apple pie on top of the value meal, that's when you get another code, so to speak, and and another payment. Is that a good way to kind of explain that to folks? You know, it's a great way to explain it. In fact, I used that same analogy. I just spoke at HealthCon uh, for the AAPC, and I used that analogy there. And I made sure to let them know that I did my research and went to a lot of McDonald's to make sure I understood this process correctly. But it is the same same type of of thing. And if you think of it from a payer perspective, you know, me as a customer, I don't want to pay for each one individually, which is going to cost me $6. 
when the value meal will cost $5.30. So if you think about it in that way and you think about it from a payer standpoint, Medicare or private insurance, they don't want to do the same thing. They don't want to pay you twice for only doing something once. And that's what exactly. happens a lot of times when a physician tries to use a code for every little thing they're doing. Yep. They end up telling the payer, I did this twice. Right. Unintentionally telling the payer right. they did it twice. Right. But they that's what they're saying when in all reality they only did it the one time. Well, and I, I'm a little rusty on my general surgery coding, so maybe help me out here. But is an example of that, let's say you're going to go in and you mentioned a cholecystectomy before. I know a lot of these are done laparoscopically now. But let's say you're going to do an open procedure. There's a separate CPT code, I think, for a laparotomy, mm-hmm. which is just going in to the abdomen. Um but if you're doing that as a part of or as a step to get into something deeper and further, that laparotomy is considered included. Is that a, a good example or it are there is. others you might example. think of? In fact, if you break it down to the RVUs of it, so the RVU, every code has an RVU, relative value unit, and physicians are paid a certain dollar amount per RVU. The exploratory laparotomy code, I think it's 49000, yeah. that has 12.54 RVU. And the open cholecystectomy code has 15 or 16 RVU. Okay. So what they're basically saying is the cholecystectomy alone is not worth 16 RVU. It's worth that 12.54 RVU from the exploratory laparotomy. And then the actual removal of the gallbladder is Is the extra extra four or five RVU because everything you're doing in the exploratory laparotomy, a physician would do when they do an open cholecystectomy anyway. So they know that. So they've bundled it in. So now the physician doesn't have to build two codes. Instead, they just have to build one. So they've made it easier for the physician in that sense. But when the system is misunderstood, it doesn't appear that way. Yeah, because if I'm a doc, I'm going to say, well, I did the exploratory lap and I did the cholecystectomy. So look, there's two codes. I want both. Does the, the 49000 still say separate procedure? Yes, it does. And, uh, yes. you know, I had doctors say, yeah, look, it even says separate procedure. I did it as a separate procedure. But that's a misunderstood concept in coding, yeah. right? Absolutely. In the So both the CPT manual and the NCCI manual focus a lot on separate procedure codes. And codes that are classified as separate procedure codes do not mean you can report it separately. What right. it means is it's a much smaller portion of a larger procedure. So... In the example of the open exploratory laparotomy with the cholecystectomy, they know that you're always going to do an open exploratory laparotomy in order to do a cholecystectomy. But there are times when you will only do an open exploratory right. laparotomy. And so in those times when you only do that, that's when you, re- that's when you report that 49000 code for the yeah. open exploratory laparotomy. The way that they state it in the CPT manual is they say if it's done by itself, or it's unrelated to the other procedures, right. that's when you can report one of these separate procedure codes. And then the NCCI manual takes it further for general surgery and says, basically, a separate procedure code in the abdomen that is performed at the same time as another procedure is probably never separately reportable. Yeah, exactly. It's probably going to be bundled in with that much larger code and you'll be reimbursed for it there. Yeah, so you've mentioned the NCCI manual. I know what that is, but maybe tell some of our listeners who might not know, explain what that is. Yeah, absolutely. So the NCCI manual is the National Correct Coding Initiative from Medicare. It's a big book of guidelines and rules, but basically it's there to help us better understand this surgical coding system and the coding system in general. It's there to help us uh, be able to 
identify what these inherent services are and understand when this code should not be reported with this code or when they can be reported together, things like that. So it's, it's some people don't like it. I find it a very valuable tool to have correct coding and yeah. reduce denials and things like that. Yeah. I always used to tell docs, I'm like, you know, you might not like what Medicare is paying you, but at least they're somewhat transparent and they're saying this a, B, C, and D are all included in F. Mm-hmm. Um, so at least they're saying that, and they're saying F pays this and these pay. So you, like you mentioned earlier, you can argue that it's not enough money, and that's a different forum kind of to argue that. Right. You know, the, the coding rules are what they are, and, and you can try to attack that in a different way. But from a compliance officer's perspective, which is where I'm coming from, you don't want to attack that feeling of feeling under-reimbursed by coding a lot of other things and boosting your reimbursement because that's when you get into compliance trouble. And that's when you get noticed too yeah. and they, they, they come after you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've spoken in many conferences where I talk about how the government's using data analytics to find those people who have aberrant billing patterns and those billing patterns are what kind of yeah. uh, clue them off, so to speak. Yes, so, so let's talk a little bit more about that surgical package then. What, sure. What's included in one? I mean, so tell me some surgical speak that, you know, what are the types of things that are included in that? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the main things, and we mentioned it before, is, are the separate procedure codes. So we don't need to rehash that, but the, the, all the pre-op work and all the post-op work is going to be considered inclusive. Um, and now I'll say typical post-op work uh, because for a lot of private payers, they will pay for complications separately. Medicare, on the hand, other hand, will not pay for the evaluation and management of surgical complications in the post-op period. Uh, they, they've assumed that surgical complications are pretty common, whether the physician is the most amazing physician in the world or just a brand new one who's still working things out, but they happen. And so they assume you will probably have to do evaluation management of some surgical complications. So they don't pay separately for it. They will pay if it results in going back to the OR and they'll right. pay for the surgery, but they won't pay for that E&M. So all the pre-op work and the post-op work is considered inclusive. And uh, another thing that they will, they will focus on a lot is anesthesia. Uh, the mm-hmm. NCCI policy manual focuses on this a lot as well, is if the physician performing the surgery also provides and administers the anesthesia, the administration of that anesthesia is not separately reportable. Ah, so if you, and if you had an, a separate anesthesiologist or APRN, um, they would be able to bill their anesthesia services separately. They would. This is only the case if the physician providing the surgery is also the one administering the anesthesia. Gotcha. So you mentioned, you mentioned pre-op. What are some of the pre-op services that are considered included? So you get that typical preoperative history and physical that happens before every surgery. Whether it's a minor procedure or a major procedure, you have a, a preoperative history and physical that happens. And uh, sometimes it's just bundled in with that initial E&M. But with these major procedures, they usually happen the same day or the day before the surgery. Right. And that's why a lot of times... The global, not a lot of times, always, the global the global package begins the day before the surgery. Right, it's like a negative one, day negative one. Yeah, because they want to make sure they take into consideration that there's a preoperative HMP. 
Now, the exception to that would be when the decision for surgery happens yes, that, that day, day of or day before, and that's when you can use modifier 57 yep. to indicate to the payer, this is not the preoperative HMP. This is the first time I'm seeing the patient about this. And I had to decide. Yeah, and so you see this a lot in the ER. Yep. They'll, they'll have someone come in for right lower quadrant pain, and they do a CT scan. They do a, a, a history of physical and their assessment is acute appendicitis. Yep. It looks like it's about to perforate. Let's get in there and take care of it. In that situation, that E&M in the emergency room should be reported. It's not right. the typical preoperative HMP. So in those situations, it's really good for uh, a physician to have good documentation, letting them know that they presented to the ER, that this is the first time they're seeing about it. This is where the decision for surgery happens because Medicare has said once that decision for surgery occurs, Anything associated with that, uh, with that, any evaluation management service associated with that surgery between the time the decision for surgery happens and the time the surgery actually occurs is considered inclusive and not separately reportable. So it's important to, for physicians to really document that well. So, um, Christopher, let me ask you, um, kind of if I were to think like a doc for a moment and, and try to get around some of these global surgical packages, you mentioned that pre-op H&P kind of the day of or the day before. What if I started doing those two days before? Still considered inclusive because any, any, once that decision for surgery is made, it's anything related to that surgery until yeah. the surgery actually occurs is considered preoperative and considered yep. bundled in with the global package. So a physician may try to get a little sneaky or a coder may try to get a little sneaky and try to do that, but Medicare's thought ahead and said, no, anything associated with the surgery that happens in that time. But it wouldn't necessarily, or, or correct me if I'm wrong, it wouldn't necessarily hit an edit if you reported an E&M two days before the surgery. No, it wouldn't. So that that's kind of why I bring it up is you might think, oh, because I in, in my history of working in compliance, a lot of folks would be like, well, if it doesn't hit an edit, then I'm okay. Right. Well, that's not necessarily true, I'm hearing you say, and it's kind of what I believe, is that just because you get around edits doesn't mean that it's appropriate. And if it was some if it's a true pre-op H and P and it's done before, that's still considered a part of the global and you shouldn't report it separately. Correct. And that's that same mentality of just because there's a code for it doesn't mean yeah. you can actually code for it. Just because it hits an edit doesn't mean it's correct. Edits aren't right. perfect. There aren't edits for everything. But uh, the the guidelines, you know, maybe Medicare will catch it when it actually goes to them and they'll deny yeah. it. But I don't know yeah. if they will or not. So, and then now how about post-op? Some common things like changing dressings, taking out sutures, staples, et All of that's going to be considered inclusive. Any sort of minor evaluation management stuff is going to be inclusive. Uh, that typical post-op care is the way the CPT manual describes it. The NCCI policy manual then goes on to, and Medicare goes on to say, complications as well, we're not going to cover as well unless it results in the, going, going back, back to the, to the OR. OR. What about, um, um, so if you have, I'm trying to think of a scenario here. What if you have different doctors doing different pieces? So let's say I'm on vacation and I have an emergency appendectomy or something. And then I go back home and that doctor does most of the follow-up. How is that dealt with? So there are modifiers that they can use uh, to accurately reflect that. There's a modifier for just the procedure only. So the physician performs only the procedure but not any of the post-op work. So 
the physician would report that appendectomy code with that modifier indicating I'm not doing the post-op work. I shouldn't gotcha. get paid for the post-op work. Then when the other physician sees you later and yep. does all the post-op work, they can bill they can bill that same code, but with the post-op modifier on there. And then it won't hit any problems with Medicare. They can clearly see this yeah, physician did the procedure, one. this did that. That's in a perfect world. That's right, when, you right. know, all of it, <laughs> it doesn't happen that way a lot. A lot of times the first physician will just not even think about it right. and just report the code, the code as normal. And then the second physician gets really frustrated saying, well, now I'm supposed to do all this work and I'm not going to get paid for it. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you, um, the global periods can vary depending on like a major or minor procedure. Can you comment on the, the length of time for each of those? Yeah, absolutely. So there's three global periods for these codes. There's a zero-day global period, a 10-day global period, and a 90-day global period. And so depending on the complexity and intensity of the procedure and what type of code it is will depend on which global period you have. Gotcha. Um, you know, as we're kind of wrapping up here a little bit, let me go back just briefly to the beginning. You mentioned something about ICD-10 codes. Um, what what do you see as an issue with ICD-10 coding in the, con- in the context of general surgery coding? I think one of the most important things is specificity. A lot of the times physicians will not choose the most specific diagnosis code that there is. But the important thing to remember about diagnosis coding is it is explaining to the payer why that surgery was justified. And so if the payer doesn't feel it was justified because your ICD-10 coding wasn't good enough, then you may be in trouble or out of luck or they may not pay you as much or whatever it may be. But that is something that I've seen a lot is they... Their documentation is specific enough, right? But the ICD-10 codes are not, so it's not reflecting all around, and then it may cause some trouble, trouble you know, later on. And this is going to age me a little bit, but that was an issue with ICD-9 as well. Yes, it was. I yeah. know that ICD-10 can be have even more granularity and specificity than ICD-9, but the concept was the same. So. Yes. What is what do you do with docs, or is this a coder issue? If I guess if the coders are picking the ICD-10 codes, what's your approach to? Depending on if it's the coder or the physician, I uh, the physicians I think they've gotten it down really well that their documentation needs to be that specific. Is it acute? Is it chronic? Is it the left side, the right side, things like that? And then if they are selecting the the diagnosis code. Uh, in the new EHR that we've implemented here at Intermountain Healthcare, it's got a really wonderful feature where you can select all these specific things and it'll spit out the code that okay. accurately reflects that for oh, them. Nice. So that really helps the physicians out in that sense. Okay. Well, great. Well, Christopher, I, I think we could probably talk all day and maybe we'll just have yes, you come back as, a, as another guest. I would guest. love to. Um, but I really appreciate your expertise and your, and you. your time today. Any parting thoughts or, or comments to the, the coders and compliance folks out there that might not live and breathe coding all day, mm-hmm. but we have a lot of compliance officers listening um, who need to know concepts. Any last minute thoughts? or? I think there are plenty of resources out there that people can read and better understand. You don't need to be a coding expert or even a medical expert to understand these, but it is important to better understand that system uh, as a whole. Yeah. And there's so many avenues of the system, it can become very complex. But having a better understanding of how it works helps physicians and coders and practices be more compliant with their coding and their documentation. Yeah. And I think, again, thinking back in my days here at Intermountain, we we regularly read the NCCI manual. I know you mentioned it and explained it a little bit. It's it's published. It's out there publicly on, mm-hmm. on the internet. 
And I think quarterly there are updates. And so you need to watch for those updates, not just the actual numeric edits, but also there may be narrative changes in the, the manual portion of it as well. Yes, there are. And all you have to do is just Google Medicare NCCI policy manual and yeah. it'll take you straight to the link. You can download it. We download a new one every year and uh, make sure we disseminate for each, yeah. Yeah, for each consultant in their, speci- in their specialty, make sure that we have found the new updates and then inform our physicians of those updates. As yeah. Well. And, I, and that's kind of why I bring it up kind of in closing here is that if you're a compliance officer and you don't want to necessarily become a coding expert, at least you could ask your coding folks, are you, are you looking at the NCCI manual on a regular basis, mm-hmm. making sure that you're accounting for changes and then getting that information out to your docs or coders and the changes in the CPT manual. That's a great point. Well. Yep. They're, they're highlighted in green. So they're easy to find each, yeah. each year. Yeah, well, Christopher, thank you so much for your time. And thank you all for listening to another episode of Compliance Conversations. Uh, Till next time, this is C.J. Wolf signing off.